Welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos. I'm excited to welcome Paul Krogdahl, Director of Technology Strategy and Advisory Services at SamLink, to the Banking Transform podcast. Paul recently co-authored an insightful report titled Banking Outlook, Navigating the Transformative Trends in Banking, which provides an in-depth look at the key forces currently reshaping our industry. From economic conditions to emerging technologies, competitive dynamics to consumer behaviors, this report explores the most pivotal trends on the horizon for 2024. With over 20 years of experience advising banks on digital transformation technology strategy, Paul shares his expert perspectives on the defining challenges and opportunities ahead for financial institutions and how technology factors into strategies for remaining relevant amid digital transformation. Emerging technologies are pivoting competitive dynamics while advancing personalization, efficiencies, and security capabilities. More than ever, there's an increasing necessity for banks to embrace partnerships and specialization rather than relying on legacy processes, legacy thinking, and trying to be all things to all people. So, Paul, you know, I think we were several months ago, we, we met in Amsterdam and Money 2020, and it was interesting because we had some discussions there around what was going on in financial services. But things have changed, especially for you. Can you discuss a little bit about your journey over the last two, 20 years of uh, working with financial institutions and what got you to where you are today? And tell us a little bit about SamLink. Absolutely, Jim. And you're, you're right. I think it was Money 2020, the last time we, we physically saw each other, although we've spoke, spoken a little bit since then. I mean, you helped to... Uh, to create the foreword to to the report we published, was it last week? So, but yes, last time we met in Amsterdam, I was working for IBM as part of IBM's Global Center of Excellence. And I believe at that point, we did a joint uh, podcast episode with uh, SEB Embedded, talking around embedded finance and the growth of banking as a service. Um, But for me, I... 26 years in IBM up until uh, about uh, a month ago, uh, focused most of that time within sort of the banking industry. So worked in and around with banks for most of that time. And um, an opportunity landed on my lap that I just, I couldn't refuse. Um, I got the chance to to join Sumlink, Sumlink being a uh, banking as a platform provider. Uh, quite a substantial large fintech in the Nordic region. It operates um, the platform for a number of banks and financial institutions in Finland. Um, A number of years ago, Sumlink was acquired by Kindrel. Uh, So that gives Sumlink a global platform to to expand its capabilities as a, um, not only just a platform as a service or platform as a, banking as a platform provider, uh, but also bring our experience and knowledge, deep knowledge in operating platforms in regulated industry uh, and operating platforms for banks, but also helping banks in that continued transformation as the industry is progressing um, as an advisory capability to, to new clients and, and uh, new banks. So my, my role now is to run what we're calling advisory services with the inside of Sumlink, which is taking our 
expertise out to our current and future banks at a global scale to help them to, to continue to drive relevance in the marketplace going forwards. You know, see, it's interesting, Paul. When I went to Money 2020 in Amsterdam, I was just amazed. I mean, it's a huge event. It's multiple warehouse size um, areas filled with all types of fintech companies, payment companies, integration companies, and financial institutions. And one thing that really took me aback, because I'm in the, the, the United States and somewhat in a sheltered environment, was how many firms I really wasn't aware of. I mean, there were names out there, uh, Sam Link being an example, where you know they're doing great things in their regions, Maybe they don't get the amount of press, the amount of you know awareness from the overall marketplace and what they're doing. And one thing we have found within the fintech marketplace is is geographic boundaries many times do not limit opportunities for organizations to be partnering with other organizations to build bigger and better solutions. So when we look at um, Samlink, for example, what is the reason why, from your perspective, there are so many organizations such as yours and others that are regional but really have the potential to work globally with traditional financial institutions? I, I think that's it comes down to historically, banking has been very regional, right? So <laughs> banks have uh, an their own IT departments, they've been very self-contained. And when you look at, at Sumlink, Sumlink was created as the um, combination of a number of banks' IT departments. So as, as an example, Sumlink was very focused on the Finnish market. As things have become more and more digital, as boundaries uh, between countries have started to uh, to a certain degree, erode as we look at banking. I think we have started to see uh, fintech companies and and also other banking providing organisations being able to transcend uh, country borders to be able to deliver their capabilities and services to a wider audience because digital is digital, and it really doesn't matter whether you're talking digital in, in the Nordics or you're talking digital in the US or you're talking digital in Asia Pacific. There are variations that are driven by some elements of geographical changes. There is cultural changes. But very often you find that leadership of digital capabilities in one region can be brought to bear to drive advances in, in other regions. And when we look at the Nordics in particular, the Nordics have been leaders in, in digital banking for a, a substantially long period of time. So, Paul, as we get deeper into the overall marketplace, which is changing so fast, your report called Banking Outlook, Navigating the Transformative Trends in Banking, really puts a great sandbox, for lack of a better word, around what's going on in the industry. And, and you know, as you mentioned, you've been in the industry for quite some time, over two decades. What do you see as the biggest challenge in financial services today as we're entering 2024? And, you know, more importantly, what has changed with regard to those challenges in the last few years? I, I think, Jim, first of all, there is... Um 
like we said a minute ago, there are some regional differences. We see difference in in how banking has evolved in emerging markets versus um, markets like Europe and, and North America. But all in all, when we look at banking for 2024, we see, uh, first of all, there's a, I would almost call it a, I'm not quite sure if I'd call it a schizophrenic situation for banks, but the rising interest rates has the potential of making the banks cash rich. But at the same time, you've got this slowing economy, you've got this cost of living crisis, which means that it could potentially make the banks very quickly lose their cash in default of loans, the reduction of, of, of loans and mortgages and those sort of things. But whilst the banks have got a rise in free cash flow, they need to really focus on, on how can they take advantage of that based upon the other trends that are happening around them. And that's, you know, the continued digital transformation and innovation is a key of that. AI is coming along, and I don't think we're anymore talking about when will AI become relevant. AI is relevant now. But at the same time, you could sort of say that it doesn't mean that the banks need to jump on it and completely rewrite the rule book based on AI. But if you don't start the journey, at least now, by the time you realize that AI has become ingrained in banking, if you haven't been part of the train, it's too late. You're not going to keep up. And you're definitely not going to be able to, to catch up, right? So there is this whole digital transformation element, the AI, the banks need to think about, well, we've got better cash flow now. We've got some money. Let's focus in on that. I also think that we have, nothing has, has revolutionized overnight. This has become a, a it's, it's a slow progression that we've gone through. It got accelerated when, the, when COVID hit. We started looking more at, at digital transformations, both from a customer perspective and also from an employee perspective. And what that did was it, it opened up this chasm between, you know, banks have spent a lot of time and focus on improving their digital channels on a, an ongoing basis and, and thinking, well, we'll leave the, the legacy, the core, the manual processes, we'll leave them there. It's, it's not causing us a pain at the moment. That chasm is, is at breaking point now because so much focus is on, on the digital transformation, the use of, of advanced technologies like AI, the move to hybrid multi-cloud, the ability to leave the legacy is no longer an option. And again, if you've got increase in free cash flow, doesn't mean that you have to rip everything out and start again. But now really is the time that you say, let's take a little bit more of, of that cash and put it as investments towards reducing what's going to be our overall cost in the future of the, of the back-end systems. Because today, most banks are putting most of their profits or most of their investment in keeping the lights on, right? And, 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 and it's not going to last anymore. You know, it's interesting, Paul, um, when you look at it, you know, COVID simply, when you look back, it did a lot more things than this, but basically it, it changed the way we worked. That's a major impact. The economy situation, the uncertainty the economy, the change in interest rates really made it so financial institutions had to look and 
dig into their archives into how they did banking over a decade ago when there were rising and falling interest rates. You know, we had virtually no change in interest rate for a decade. So it gave the wake-up call that said legacy thinking, while you may have to go back a decade, may be a good foundation, but it's not going to solve the problem of the future. As you mentioned, change is happening so fast right now. When we look at that, it also is an amazing opportunity because it gives an opportunity for people to think, okay, with uncertainty on the table, you have to actually make your organization future ready under various scenarios. And it's going to make financial institutions think about how are they going to put a stake in the ground to become future ready and to position themselves as a leader, no matter what the scenario ends up in the future. So, you know, your report that was sponsored by Samlink actually provides insights into the major trends around banking and technology. What do you see as the key technology trends that you reference in the report? Well, I mean, obviously, like we already said, um, generative AI, AI is is a fundamental trend technology-wise that we're seeing. Another trend that we're seeing, which, which I will put in the technology space, is the explosive growth of embedded finance. Now, some people would say that that's also a change in, in, in business model, uh, but it's driven by the, the open API paradigm shift. It's been driven by uh, historically uh, open banking. And, and we've taken that transition now into embedded finance and, and that continues into banking as a service. Now we're, we're seeing you know, a lot of discussions about who takes risks uh, is it the financial institutions, et cetera, when it comes to banking as a service? So I think there's there's a lot that still has to filter out in, in that domain. But when you look at embedded finance, I think that's, to me, I, I would say one of the largest technology um, implications that we're seeing. And I, I think it's really driven by not just customer expectations, uh, but also the way that customers deal with their financial lives. I, th I think banks have, a lot of banks are still attached to this notion that they are going to create a unique um, relationship with a customer, which is all encompassing, right? There used to be a time when the bank you got your mortgage with was the bank that you did all your yep. banking with and everything was there in-house. I mean, most people, even of my age, of our age, has a banking relationship with at least three different institutions. Then we've got digital wallets. And then we've got, you know, our, our financial life is split across so many different channels and so many different um, institutions that it's getting eroded. And therefore, the banks need to think about, well, what does this mean then from an embedded finance perspective? What does this mean from me being able to externalize capabilities that can be embedded into customer journeys to deliver my capabilities still with relevance as part of those agile customer journeys. Because customers are no longer interested in, in banking products. They're interested in outcomes. They're interested in having their life journeys satisfied. And they don't want to think about the banking, right? You know, it's interesting because embedded finance is, is a question or a, a uh, a change that impacts how you're ranked in the consumer's mindset as a needed entity. 
you know, with embedded finance, you could easily, very easily be put into the background as a financial institution. You can become invisible. And the reality is from a seamless transaction perspective, that's good. On the other hand, if your brand becomes invisible, you are invisible and your value transfer is not as great. So as you referenced, you know, we've really moved from trying to create great experiences to how do we build ongoing engagement that brings value to the embedded finance model? Because we may not control the infrastructure and what gets embedded and how it gets embedded, but we need to try to control our role in that. And how do we stay in the forefront of the consumer's mind? As you mentioned, you know, every consumer, I I do this at major events. I ask people to raise their hand if they changed a major financial institution relationship in the last five years and nobody raised their hand because getting out of financial relationships, even in the UK, is not the easiest process. People just don't do it that much. They kind of stay with where they are. I then ask how many of you have opened a brand new non-traditional financial relationship with some organization last two years and everybody raised their hand. So what happens is while we may not change the starting point, we're changing everything around it, almost building our own open banking architecture where we say, we're going to connect our major financial institution relationship with this, 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 thereby weakening the primary financial institution. And in fact, even the definition of what a primary financial institution is changing. My son in the U.S. has a a traditional financial institution relationship. But if you really dug into what is his primary financial relationship, it's with Venmo. It's with this payment app. Other other people may see it as their loan um, institution. So, you know, when we look at this, we really have to look at new ways of adapting to brand new business models on a personalized basis. So for some consumers, nothing's going to change. For other consumers, everything's going to change. So, you know, when you look at, we've talked about uh, generative AI and we've talked about AI in general. We've talked about embedded finance. We can talk about payments. But when you're talking about priorities right now, and we're going to take a broad brush here because it's hard to get very specific as every financial institution is different. But where do you think financial institutions should prioritize their investments in 2024? I, I, I think I'll go back to, to what I said a minute ago. I think the fundamental investment right now for most banks to make, and, and I'm focusing in on incumbent banks yeah. now at the moment yep. because they tend yeah. to be the largest ones, it's, it's, on, it's on fixing the back end. I think we've got to the point where, you know, Leave, leaving that cow in the field is no longer an option. You, you need to sort it out. And it's, it's not just legacy systems. It's also processes. It's back-end processes. And here, yes, I agree, you can take generative AI to help you to, to deal with some of those back-end processes. But really, to be able to continue this march towards customer centricity and everything else, you can't have a system where it takes you half a year to develop a new product because the notions of what a, what a mortgage is and what a, what a current account is and what a checking account is, and everything, it's going to change, right? The consumer is asking for it to change because the way that we do banking today and the way that we're going to do banking in the future is not the way that we used to do banking in the past. 
And the banks need to be able to support that. And you ain't going to do it with your old 60-year-old system. Right. It needs to change. And it needs to change with partners. It needs, you know, don't try and develop it yourself. Don't build it yourself. Don't, I, I, I'll put my hand on my heart and say, I, I see red every time a bank says we're an IT company with a banking license. And I say, no, you're not. No, you're a bank and you're damn good at doing banking. Right, right. And you just happen to have some clever IT guys that work for you. Leave the IT stuff to the IT companies because they're putting all the investment into it. They've got all the research that they're putting into it. And that's what they're focusing on. They don't want to be a bank. You do the banking. They'll do the IT. Partner with them. And you will have the best of breed. Try and do it all yourself in-house and you're doomed. It's the most exciting time in banking for that reason alone. You know, it's interesting because it used to be you'd, you'd make a partnership with a primary back office provider and you kind of took what they built and put it in when they wanted you to put it in or when they enabled you to put it in. Today, you have composable solutions provided by a vast number of providers that can make you best in breed in any specific segment. So if you have to improve your digital account opening, if you have to improve your loan application process, if you have to improve your use of data to build personalized solutions, there are solution providers out there you can partner with in a very quick and easy way to deliver solutions at speed and scale, as you mentioned. It's the most exciting time in, in the world because it doesn't matter what asset size you are, you can make these changes almost instantly three months, let's put it at, on major changes in specific areas that you need improvement. And as you said, working from the inside out, because you, we are way beyond being able to make a nice, flashy new app that, that shows up great on your mobile device, but have back office that sucks. It's just not going to work. We've seen that when organizations say, oh, we have a digital new account opening process. And all of a sudden you see it's 15 minutes. And you go, no, you have a digital opening account opening capability but the process itself is still analog you know it's interesting because the partnership with companies like samlink and so many others it's not just them we're seeing major providers like ibm where you used to work microsoft google partnering with organizations to move them forward so it's not a matter of size or scale it's a matter of just saying how do we let those who can do it best do it best and move us forward so you know when you look at this it, it's it's just so important in this whole buy versus build approach the reality is the building has to be in how you integrate all these vast number of solutions that come from disparate companies within a, an overall seamless environment. And, you know, it's, it's, as I said, I think it's the most exciting time ever in banking because of that, because anybody can succeed. And I'll go a step further and say, it's not just based on how you do the back office, but it's going to be based on your leadership. So before we get into the whole leadership issue, let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsors of the podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. 
Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back to Banking Transform. So I'm joined today by Paul Krogdahl, Director of Technology Strategy and Advisory Services for Samlink. We've been exploring the challenges, opportunities, and key initiatives facing banking in 2024. So Paul, before we took a break, we were talking a little bit about the power of partnerships, the power of working with specialized third-party solution providers to move traditional financial institutions forward at speed and scale in a composable composable way. How do you see that really defining the success or failure of financial institutions going forward? I, I, I see it as a fundamental element for success I talk about um, ecosystem-enabled banking as a, a foundational approach for moving forwards. And I, I think that it's, it's critical for banks to, I mean, let's be honest here, Jim, 85 to 90% of what banks implement in IT is generic stuff that helps them to operate as a bank, right? It, it, it is, it, it's only, it's, it's, If you're really, really unique and special, it's 10% of what you implement in your IT that differentiates you, that creates that unique value proposition that differentiates you from everybody else. Fine. Custom develop that. That, that, That's fine because it's it's unique for you and no one else is going to do the same. But for everything else that you do, just take partner solutions implement them and get them off the ground as fast as possible, right? And and yes, there's a need to rethink architecture more towards the notion of, of ecosystem-enabled architecture because you, you break it up into sizable chunks that enables you to be as flexible as possible. The day is gone where you say, I've got one large core and it's a huge monolith sitting in the middle of my architecture. The future is going to be built on multiple thin cores that deliver unique specific capabilities, either within sort of your business units or or across your bank. But you want to have the ability to say, this core doesn't satisfy me anymore. We're going to pull it out and replace it rather than, you know, the days of of huge monolithic solutions. It has to be based on ecosystems. You know, it's interesting, Paul, because when you look at it, when you look at a solution rubber like Samlink and you you look at what they bring to the marketplace – they bring to the marketplace partnerships and solutions that, as I said, as you said, are kind of like thin core solutions. But your organization's success is going to be driven by how fast you can keep up to market changes and how many case studies can you have in the marketplace that can show how you can move forward. Traditional financial institutions can't deal with all these moving parts if they dealt with them themselves. They could not be the best at what's available. One key element, though, that I I put out there, and and I'm sure you've seen this already, your organization, is that when you make a partnership with a third-party provider that's out there to solve a specific problem you have, you must, and I underline must, get out of the way and let the solution perform. You know, what I see is many organizations will build a partnership with an organization that can give them best in class solutions. And then they go, yes, we like everything we bought. We like everything you said. We like everything you promised. But 
we want you to still include this, this, or this, or we don't want to change this part of our back office. I don't know if you've seen this already because you're still relatively new to your organization, but but I'm sure you saw it at IBM in the past where organizations bought one thing and wanted to implement something that was like a, a montage of what they had in the past and what they had in the future, which means you'll never get to the optimum solution. Is that is that still a challenge in the marketplace? Oh, absolutely, yeah. The, 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 the issue of adapt versus adopt, right? <laughs> How, how much? How much do you adopt of the uh, the the out of the box product versus how much do you adapt it to to your own in house uh, approaches and thinking? Absolutely, we still see that. And that, you know, another element to this as well, Jim, is as banks or financial institutions start looking at building their future based on an ecosystem of partners, th- there's also a management or governance issue, because you end up with many partners that could be by themselves a single point of failure. And and and, and this, this is where Sumlink comes in as a fantastic, you know, we become a single throat to choke. We have the ecosystem of partners. We manage the ecosystem of partners. We create a banking platform which is built out of best and breed. We do all of that research. We make sure that it operates. I mean, one of, one of the heritages that we have at Sumlink is that we know how to operate a banking platform. We know how to operate, to have it resilient, uh, not have outages. So we can take that, add to it the partners that are most relevant for us to be able to deliver a best of breed solution to our, our banking or financial institution customers. And I think that's, that's, that's an interesting dynamic in a lot of these discussions going forwards, when when banks are looking at how do we build best of breed using a lot of partners, is you can still do that by having one partner you trust and trust them to do all the hard work. You still have that one throat to choke, right? Yeah. Which, which makes life a lot easier. That's a great example because I think organizations can make life very hard if they go out there and try to build all of this on individualized basis. And there are solution providers such as Samlink that allow that they do that legwork for you and then you can pick and choose which partnerships you want to build. So, you know, it's funny because I could go back 40 years in my banking career and I can talk about this the same way I do today. But banking organizations have a vast amount of data available. You know, they they talk about using it for improvement of efficiency and effectiveness. They talk about it improving products and solutions. They talk about it being able to provide better um, customer experiences. You know, overall, we have a lot of data. You know, I, I talk about my primary finance institution knowing everything about me, but they never show me that they know everything about me. What are the biggest opportunities and challenges that exist in the banking world with regard to the application, coordination, and deployment of data for things that matter today? So I think when we look at data, and and I'm not a data expert uh, by any means possible, right? We've I've got data experts within inside of Sumlink that I would relate to when when getting into much detail, but you're absolutely right. There is a an explosive growth of data and it continues to grow. There's data within inside of the organization. But if we go back to part of the discussion we had at the beginning, 
the days of us as individuals having our uh, financial life with just one provider are gone. So there is there is a new paradigm when it comes to data, particularly around data to satisfy uh, customer journeys and customer expectations, that you need to start looking at how do I combine my data as a financial institution with data provided by third parties to be able to enrich the ability to get a holistic point of view on um, on my customer, right? Then you start getting into issues like how can I trust the data? Do I believe the data is correct? Do I believe that the data is coming from a true source? Um, and then how do I get my own data to be um, well-formed and, and looked after? Then you add another element to that, which is this growth of gen generative AI and the use of, of data for AI. And here you start getting into a whole load of new different problems about you know the models the data you're using to train the models. Where is the data coming from? Is it your data? Is it someone else's data? Um, data can get poisoned. Uh, data can get manipulated. So I think there is there is a continued fundamental growth of, of data. That's always going to happen. But I think we're going to see new risks associated with how you're using data as a financial organization and how do you get best advantage of that data. So, Paul, when we look at the overall aspect of what's going on right now and what we're trying to prepare for in 2024, and when we look at your great report, what strategic advice, I know I'm, I'm another one of these broad brushes here, but what strategic advice do you have for banks aiming to thrive and at least survive among the massive amount of turbulence that's going to expect, expect to be in front of us in 2024 and beyond? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think here I've ended up in an awful lot of very interesting discussions, not only just with banks, but with other um, advisory organizations. You know, everybody's bringing out reports at the moment and we're all friends or frenemies and we all get in discussions with each other. And that's how we all learn and, and uh, get relevant points of views. But I would, when I'm talking with the banks, the first thing that I would say is, there is a fundamental opportunity at the moment for banks to look at the rebundling of banking services. And whether you want to label this as, as the platformification of banking or you want to relabel this as, as embedded finance, if we look at the trends that have happened over the last couple of years, particularly since the start of COVID, you know, the fintechs and the big techs were, were really focused on breaking up banking. And, and for a short period of time, that was fantastic. We as consumers ended up with fantastic apps that were giving us fantastic experiences. And we went, wow, this is great. And then we got the next app. And then we got the next app. And before we knew it, we had, you know, three apps for retail investment, six apps for, for instant payments, two apps for taking the public transport. And before you knew it, your phone had just a plethora of different non-connected apps and you got lost of how much money have I got? Where have I got my money? Who's paid? What subscriptions? The whole thing just, it becomes a nightmare. And, and in certain geographies, if you go to emerging markets, you can see the, the, the growth of super apps. I don't think generally at the moment, particularly in um, you know, established markets like Europe and North America, I don't think we're going to see super apps being a huge explosion. But what I do think we're going to see is a continued growth of uh, non-financial organizations taking more and more of a grasp around customer life. 
uh, here in, in, in Finland, we've got a great fintech that's come up called AirPussy, which started as a, a digital wallet for all intents and purposes, but it's now grown into something much larger, which incorporates wellness for individuals. And companies will actually uh, pay into this as part of your compensation package. So you, you end up with a digital wallet with funding in there from your, your corporation, and you also add your own funding to that. So you connect it to your bank. You can even connect it to your Finair loyalty points and pay with Finair loyalty points. So what's happening is you're starting to create a financial um, st- situation for yourself in the AirPussy um, uh, digital wallet, an expansion from that. I think there's a fantastic opportunity for banks to reposition them back and say, well, actually, we don't necessarily be able to do all of this ourselves, but we can partner back to the ecosystem capability to offer these capabilities. Step out of the world of having a pipeline business that says we have to build the models and the the products, we have to market the products, we have to sell the products, and we're going to get the return on those products. We can market the combination of our products with other people's products to create that ecosystem. That's the first part that I would say, focus in on that this year. The second one is don't get caught off guard. Embrace the ecosystem and embrace the ecosystem both from, as we just discussed, but also from the fact that you must modernize. The time has come, you can't sit on this anymore. You need to modernize at one level or another. Do it using an ecosystem of partners. Don't get caught off guard. The next one is technology trends. I, I, you know, we're now focused on generative AI. Quantum computing is just around the corner. If you're going to say to yourself as a bank, generative AI, it's interesting, it's something is happening, I'm going to wait another five years and then see what's happened and maybe I'll catch up when it happens. By the time you get onto generative AI, quantum is going to be knocking you for six. So don't, you know, stay on top of that. And the last one, I think we all know it's ESG, right? You need to focus on ESG. You need to get ESG into to what you're doing. And ESG is a, a complex one because just like generative AI, a lot of banks are looking at ESG. They believe they know what they're doing, but there's still too many questions. You know, it's interesting, Paul. I want to go one step further and say, don't talk about it, do it. I say that because we did a quick poll this last week and said, what is the likelihood of certain things happening? One of them was, what's the likelihood of branches decreasing by 25% in the next three years, in the next five years, in the next 10 years? Never type thing. So we did all these things. And at the top this year was one that didn't even exist last time we did this report was financial institutions will have um, implementation of generative AI solutions to improve customer experiences at more than 50% of financial institutions. That was the number one thing that was going to happen in the next two years, which was interesting because I go, sounds good, sounds entirely sensible, but that means people are going to have to embrace something that's completely different. And there will be people within every organization arguing against doing it because it's risky or there's moderated risk or whatever it is. And I think at the end of the day, you have to do things. You have to move forward. You should set it in your mind that we no longer look at annual plans. We're looking at quarterly 
movements of big, big amounts. And we're getting back to it. It only can be done with partnerships. So, Paul, I really appreciate talking to you. You know, you, you're, you're probably somewhat unknown in the United States to a degree. So with that said, how do people find you? How do people listen to your tremendous podcast? And finally, how do people download the report? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we never mentioned that, Jim, right? I host a podcast called Fintech Daydreaming. You've been a guest on there twice, actually, I believe. So, you know, yes, please check out Fintech Daydreaming, the podcast, uh, which I co-host with my good friend, Villa Sointo. Find me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn, paul.krogdal. Sumlink, you can find at sumlink.fi. Uh, we're also on, on LinkedIn and you can find the report, uh, the Sumlink Equation 2024, either on sumlink.fi or on LinkedIn. In actual fact, I've uploaded it as well on my LinkedIn page, so it's, it's available. Or even more importantly, ping me, I'll send you the uh, report and I'd love to have a discussion about it on the back of it. Paul? Great to talk to you. You have a great personality that I love to be around because you have a passion for what you do, which is exciting. And uh, looking forward to be back in uh, the Netherlands and in the Amsterdam to see you quickly again, or if not in the United States. So thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, James. It's been a fantastic. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking and the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. We appreciate the support we have received to make this endeavor a success. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show some love in the form of a review. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Lee Hassage, and audio engineer and video producer, Will Pritz. If you've not already done so, remember to subscribe to Banking Transformed on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube for more thought-provoking discussions on the intersection of finance, technology, and leadership. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, keep innovating and transforming. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.